Hello and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Every week we will choose a new country at random. We will learn a little bit about this country and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. We don't want you to think because of the title that we're huge fans of O Canada. In fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show and we do not expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. So this week, we are going to be learning about San Marino. I'm excited. Uh, tell me, what did you know about San Marino prior to right now? Absolutely nothing. Cool. I did no research. No, that was my job this week. Um, so let me just start off by saying that when I drew San Marino, I immediately said, I think it's an island nation. I think I addressed this last week mm-hmm. on your um, Brunei episode, but it is very much not. Uh, (laughs) We all stand corrected. (laughs) San Marino is a microstate in southern Europe. It is entirely enclosed by Italy. So if you picture like the boot of Italy, it's in sort of the the back, the crook of the knee of the boot. I didn't I didn't know you could have that. I didn't know you could have a nation entirely surrounded by another. History is actually really fascinating. We'll get to that. And there are actually three, only three countries in the world that are entirely enclosed by another nation. Two of them are within Italy. Interesting. Uh, So that's um, San Marino and obviously the Vatican City. Man, the things you don't know. I never think about the Vatican City. And I know it should be on my radar more than it is. Yeah. But it tends to just slide away when we are talking about san marino's rankings in the world mm-hmm. they always sort of fall right next to the vatican city in yeah. size and population they're they're very similarly like sized nations that if that sense. gives you a an idea of how small this place is it is geographically larger than the vatican but um I think it is generally just larger than the Vatican, but on that kind of scale. Okay, I got you. Um, You want to get into it? Yeah, so um, it is the third smallest country in Europe by landmass. It is the second smallest by population. Um, The other country it is larger than is Monaco, Mm. but Monaco has roughly 4,000 more residents. Monaco has about 37,000 to... San Marino's 33,000 residents in the entire nation. Remind me again where Monaco is? It's that not Monaco not week. part of the assignment. Yeah. Okay, that's okay. We will talk about the geography of Monaco when it's we get there. in Europe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... The the very early history of San Marino is a little bit shrouded in legend. And as the legend goes, there is a man named St. Marinus, or in Italian, San Marino. And uh, he was a Christian in the Roman Empire in the 4th century. And this was before Constantine. This was before, you know, Christianity was accepted in Rome and even the state religion in Rome. This was kind of when they were still feeding Christians to the lions kind of time. So, uh, St. Marinus took a group of his Christians to escape Roman persecution and they went and they settled on a mountain called Mount Titano. And Mount Titano to this day is sort of the geographical 
heart of, of San Marino. Um, it's, it's not really known by historians if this is how the settlement was actually founded, but it's kind of the best explanation we have. Okay. There are references to the settlement on Mount Titano already existing in like the 6th century and the 8th century, but not really a lot of explanation of where it came from. Mm. Um, but by the 12th century, it had sort of developed into a commune with its own set of laws separate from the empire around it. And it, in this period is when we started to get a lot of the classic architecture of San Marino. This is when the three towers of San Marino were built. And we'll talk a bit more about them when we're talking about the country's national symbols, because they're a really important symbol to the country. When, when you talk about the mountain. Yeah. Are we talking like a snow-capped peak? Are we talking like a large hill? Do you know? Is this outside? I, I think we're talking more a large hill, but to be okay. honest, I didn't look that much into the specifics of Mount Titano. Just I hear the word mountain and I immediately like go straight to the Alps, which I know is not what every mountain looks like. Yeah, I don't get the impression we're talking about like a giant snow cap thing. Okay. Um... It has three peaks uh, on which the three towers are built. Oh, that would make sense. Um, so during the 13th century, San Marino was protected by a powerful family called the Montefeltro family. And the Montefeltro family ruled another nearby city-state called Urbino. So this was a time when Italy was largely semi-independent republics, and the Pope had so much power at this point in time. Um, there was another rival republic nearby called Rimini, and that was controlled by the Malatesta family. Uh, really, the only reason the Montefeltros were protecting San Marino is because they didn't want the Malatestas to mm. seize more power. Okay. Um, the intrigue. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1461... San Marino supported the papacy uh, in their attempts to remove the Malatestas from power. And this all worked out by 1463. The Malatestas were removed from power. Uh, the family continued to exist. We were actually learning. I forget why we were learning about it, but we learned about some uh, Malatesta who was like an important anarchist philosopher the other day. And oh, I filed yeah. that away like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a San Marino thing. Yeah, and I looked forget. it up and he was like descended from them. Cool. Um, and in 1463, when the Malatestas were defeated, the Pope granted a, a portion of their land to San Marino. Mm. Uh, these towns that they gave to them and then one year later, another town joined the Republic and that to this day are the borders of San Marino. So the modern borders have existed since 1464 unchanged. Wow. That's really interesting too, that it's, it's been so kind of isolated. Yeah. Cause I know like board borders change, borders change a lot. And the, the whole history 
we're going to get to some crazy bits of happenstance that are really the only reason this country still exists in the form it does. It, it's crazy, some of the stuff that's going to happen I'm here. curious to see. So by the 15th century, the Republic was ruled by a grand council of 60 men uh, from the Arengo, which was the assembly of families. So just like a group of strong families in San Marino would get 60 men elected mm. to be the grand council of San Marino. Um, they would end up laying out the original constitution of San Marino in what's known as the Statutes of 1600, uh, which were actually written in 1599. (laughs) (laughs) So through the 16th, uh, from the 16th through the 18th century, there were a lot of attempts throughout Italy to take control of San Marino. A really notable one was in the 16th century. Um, Are you familiar with the Borgia family? That sounds very familiar. I feel I read like a historical fiction novel about them or something. Yeah, yeah. The Borgias are really infamous, just kind of a family of Italian schemers. Like Cesare Borgia, the guy who we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. here, was the inspiration for Machiavelli's The Prince. Okay, now I I could be wrong about this, but I actually think the reason that I've heard of them is because, you know, you know, Gregory Maguire that wrote Wicked, Mm -hmm. the book. So he has another book. The one about Snow White, I think. I, don't, I hated Wicked so much. I didn't read any of his other books. And it's kind of an offshoot sort of a book, but I think I think some of the family members... The Borgias come up in it? Show up somehow. Interesting. I think, don't quote me, it's just where my memory's going. There's been a number of weird. TV shows about them too. There was one called The Borgias. There was another called, I think, just Borgia. Um, but either yeah. way, yeah. Um, Cesare Borgia was a, a crazy schemer. Family members were Pope. All sorts of things happened with the Borgias. We'll probably talk about them more in the Italy episode when yes. we get there. But he ended up uh, occupying the entire Republic for six months in 1603 uh, before he was ordered by the Pope to give it up. This was really the end of... Cesare Borgia's life Mm. he would be dead within three years of giving up San Marino uh under pretty brutal circumstances like I I only sort of skimmed some of his post San Marino history but my understanding is that he was like killed by highwaymen terribly scarred by syphilis and left completely naked with just like a cloth over his genitals like that's rough yeah he did not end up in a glorious place (laughs) but uh there would be a number of attempts as well from the papacy to take control of san marino uh in his conquest of the whole region in 1797 napoleon actually for whatever reason i couldn't find a reason this happened napoleon just respected their independence completely wanted to be friends with them even offered them land by some accounts like offered to extend their borders that doesn't sound like napoleon much yep (laughs) okay (laughs) so then in 1815 when Napoleon's whole conquest sort of falls. There's another thing I was just skimming because, again, it didn't really apply to San Marino. The The Congress of Vienna is what happens in 1815 when Napoleon fucks off and everyone's like, what do we do now <laughs> with Europe? <laughs> and because Napoleon had never annexed San Marino... Mm. 
the Congress of Vienna just kind of left him alone. Also respected their independence. That is a strange piece of happenstance. And then during the 19th century, Mm -hmm. there were the Wars of Italian Unification. And are you familiar with the name Giuseppe Garibaldi? That also sounds very familiar. Giuseppe Garibaldi was, is again, someone we will talk about a lot in our Italy episode whenever we get there. (laughs) Watch, it's going to be next week. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Giuseppe Garibaldi would be the first ruler of unified Italy. Mm. So at the there were two wars of Italian unification, one unsuccessful, one successful. Okay. At the end of the first war of Italian unification, this was a period where San Marino had become a haven for revolutionary refugees around Europe. And Garibaldi ended up seeking refuge in San Marino at the end of the first war of unification. Uh, he ended up sort of, I think people who were after him chased him to San Marino and he convinced them to like not attack the borders if they let him go. It was tough to find clear cut information on what actually happened during Garibaldi's time in San Marino, but for, but because they had given him refuge when he then became the leader of unified Italy... He respected their independence. That's so interesting and cool and, like, could only have happened under such specific circumstances. Right? It almost shouldn't have happened, and it did anyway. Such an insane bit of happenstance that really, for me, in a war of Italian unification, once you've got, you know, a critical mass of Italy, Mm -hmm. there's no reason you can't conquer this 60 square kilometers, 30,000 people. Like, it's nothing. But that is the only reason, as far as I can tell, they exist. Can I just say, on a slight tangent, I love the word happenstance. Yeah. It's so fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in World War I, Mm. the, the vast majority of wealth in San Marino had become focused in the hands of a few rich landowners and there were a lot of really sort of archaic class measures still in place at this time Mm. a moderate government came into power and started to make some concessions to the lower classes which is never something that rich powerful landowners love (laughs) uh so that read, led to the almost immediate rise of fascism among the middle and upper classes in San Marino. Uh, the San Marino Fascist Party was founded in 1922 and immediately rose to power, as far as I can tell. Ah. I, I couldn't find really a lot of sources explaining any difference between the time when the fascist party was founded and the time when they had absolute power over the country, it seems like it was kind of one and the same. Ah, okay. <laughs> Yay, fascism. Uh, so they would dissolve the Grand Council and create what was called the Main and Sovereign Council uh, that immediately called for a new election and only allowed for a majority of fascist candidates with a sp- scattering of sort of hardline Catholic candidates as well. This is not going great. It's it's gonna turn around fairly quickly. Okay, okay. I'm here for it. (laughs) So the the fascist government in San Marino would 
really just look to Mussolini for cues on how they should operate as a country. And uh, Mussolini was all for, you know, having them be friendly with him. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he had plans to integrate them at some point. Uh, he was building a railroad from Ramini, the Italian city that was once the ha- home of the Malatestas. Mm-hmm. Um he was building a railroad from Ramini to San Marino entirely on the Italian dime. Sometime around 1942, socialist leaders that had fled from San Marino came back and started a secret anti-fascist movement. Uh, eventually, they brought around the, fa- the fall of the fascist government in 1943. Now, San Marino did remain neutral through all of World War II, and to be honest, I can't blame them I for it. I was going to ask where they stood, because if, like, if you've done that swing from fascism and back again, World there's War II still, is a complicated time for you. That's there's all. still a tiny country entirely surrounded by Italy. If they were to come yeah. out in open opposition of Italy, oh, Italy no, could conquer them in a day. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. to be honest, I, I don't really blame them no. for remaining neutral. No. They didn't really have a choice. Even though they remained neutral, bad intel on both sides would result in the Republic being attacked by both the Allies and the Axis. Mm-hmm. Um, the most notable was an attack from the British that killed 60 people and injured Ooh. a lot more. Um, but the country would end up taking in over 100,000 civilian refugees over the course wow. of the war, uh, mainly from Italy, obviously. Yeah, makes sense. Um, they would join the UN in 1992, and sadly, as of 2020, they do have the highest per capita death rate of any country in the COVID-19 pandemic. That said, yeah, only 84 people have died. Because their right. population is so small, right. every death is such a significant yeah. factor per capita. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, they they are the highest per capita death rate in the world due to COVID-19. I know it was really rough in Italy. Yeah. I didn't even consider that there was a tiny country within Italy probably also getting hit pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, it's true. When I heard about Italy, I wasn't like shedding tears for the Vatican Republic. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fun facts. Yes. <laughs> So I was trying to find a list of famous people from San Marino, and if any, I believe it's Samaranese is the word, if any Samaranese folks are listening and there's like someone super famous that I missed, I hadn't heard of any of these people. So I just picked out a couple that sounded the most famous. Um, So we've got uh, Manuel Pajali, I believe is how you would pronounce that last name, and he is a uh, Grand Prix motorcycle world champion. And then there's another guy whose name is Little Tony, who was lead singer of Little Tony and His Brothers. They were a pop and rock band. They made their way over to England and had some small success on the UK charts. They made it up to number 19 with their biggest hit in the UK called Too Good. But then they would come back to Italy and have multiple number one hits over uh, the course of their Italian career. That's cool. Um, the three towers of San Marino are yeah. a major 
cultural symbol of the country. I was curious about the three towers. So they are located on the flag. They are located on the coat of arms. Um, From what I could see, the actual, the closest thing to an official national dish was a dessert called the Torta Tre Monti, uh, which is sort of a three-layered chocolate-covered wafer cake Mm. um, with the three layers meant to represent the three towers of san marino that's fun that's like if we had like a cn tower pie yeah (laughs) i um i wanted to not do a dessert this time there were actually a couple desserts that looked delicious but i didn't do it Uh, (laughs) i'm still excited about what we're having oh it's gonna be great uh so all three of the towers are located on the three peaks of Mount Titano. Uh there is Gualta which was built in the 11th century. Uh Sesta was built in the 13th century and Monterre was built in the 14th century. Uh they have a national monument which fun enough is the Statua della Libertà. Would you like to hazard a guess what that translates to? Sorry, say it again. Statua della Libertà. Statue of Liberty? Statue of Liberty. <laughs> they have their own Statue they of Liberty. They have their own Statue of Liberty in the city of San Marino. Does it predate the New York Statue of Liberty? I didn't check, actually. Okay. I would say probably. Probably. I'll, I'll check s- when we're listening to the anthem. I'll get back to us with an answer on that one. Okay, I was just curious. It's um, not super important. It's not the, it's not the same picture but it's the same idea it's mm. a woman representing liberty and yeah. freedom and all I think that that's a good pretty stuff. standard representation yeah right yeah uh their national beverage is a type of wine called bianchale and that is made from the white grapes that most commonly grow mm. in the republic the dish that we are going to be making is what's called needy de rondine uh translates to swallows nests so The recipe that I was using, I think, put it really nicely in that it's kind of a blend between lasagna and cinnamon rolls. (laughs) It's it's, I I made some fresh pasta, rolled uh, out some long sheets and sort of overlapped them a little bit, layered the whole thing with uh, bechamel sauce, some ham and some mozzarella And then I have rolled it all up. I've put it in the freezer just to solidify a bit so I can slice it into nice little sort of bird nest rolls. Cinnamon rolls. Yeah, cinnamon (laughs) rolls. And then I am going to bake it in some more bechamel sauce and some Parmesan cheese. And I think it's going to be pretty amazing. I love pasta. So when you said it was basically going to be Italian food this week, I was I was stoked. (laughs) And I'm really excited for when we do Italy and I can eat more pasta. Um, Although maybe maybe we make something else. But so our anthem, this anthem actually doesn't really have a name. It is called the Inno Nazionale della Repubblica, or National Anthem of the Republic. And we will take a break now and have a listen. Sounds good.
welcome back. We have just listened to Inno Nazionale della Repubblica, or the National Anthem of the Republic. Uh, so this is an interesting piece. It's one of only, I think, three anthems in the world that do not have official lyrics. That's curious to me. Uh, the others off the top of my head mm-hmm. being Spain and Kosovo, although there may be another I'm forgetting. Okay. Um, so the, the song was written by Federico Consolo. Uh, he was a, an Italian composer and violinist. And the story of the song, as I understand it, is basically that he one day just sort of came across this 10th century choral composition, like Mm. a piece of church music and wrote this arrangement of it that became really popular in San Marino, I guess. The thing I find interesting about not having official lyrics is like, that makes it hard to sing it like in schools or at sporting events. Cause you don't know that everybody's got the same information kind of. Well, we'll get to that okay. in a second. Okay. Um, the, the other thing about this anthem that I, I don't know how unique this is to San Marino or, you know, if we just have like a really bloated, sense of how much people hear their anthems on a regular basis um outside of military events and like government parades on holidays kind of thing Mm. this anthem is not heard interesting okay so yeah i think it is just inflated for us um Um, or maybe inflated for us compared to some places but and less compared uh, to others just because we hear ours i feel all the goddamn time every sports game in school every every day day yeah of your elementary life very impressionable years yeah oh and Uh, high school yeah (laughs) yeah but uh yeah the original copy of this composition that inspired Federico Consolo is still actually on display at a museum in Florence oh, which is cool. kind of cool. I'd like um, to see that. I so I couldn't really find any great information on why this was adopted as the anthem. Mm-hmm. It was adopted by the Grand Council in 1894. Well, it's a pretty old one then. Yeah. Cool. Um but just because they they liked yeah. it. Okay. it it doesn't have the official lyrics like it was just the melody right when they adopted it and then the song was debuted as the anthem later that year and okay this is something i'm going to say because i like the narrative but full disclosure there's a decent chance it's not true okay. i could only find one kind of sketchy source that claimed this hit us anyways um but yeah it was a fun narrative so the the unofficial lyrics that seem to be like completely agreed on across the board uh were written by a man named Giosu carducci uh sorry to his name and uh carducci seems at least this one sketchy source claimed that he was present when the anthem was premiered. Okay. Uh, and wrote the lyrics shortly after that. So like any sung versions of the anthem I found, I, I only showed the one because they all kind of sound the same, to be honest, (laughs) at least the ones I could find, but any sung version I could find used those lyrics. Um, So, yeah, those are the official ones. Again, not a lot of background info on where they came from. One sketchy source kind of claiming that Carducci, the writer, was present at 
the premiere of the melody as the anthem. Okay. And that's kind I didn't even uh, really find the name of the choral piece that it was. I found something saying it was on display in Florence, but yeah. I didn't find, like, the name of the thing. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah, no one talks um, about this anthem. This is... <laughs> This is, I don't know, it's, I have a couple of thoughts. One thing I think it's really strange and interesting that there's so little information and background on this thing that has just kind of been adopted. At the same time, I'm also thinking about other countries we've talked about already, and granted not that many of them, but a few where it's been kind of hard to sort of trace who or how. Not maybe quite to the same extent as this one. Yeah. But I think maybe more anthems just kind of happen than we give credit for necessarily absolutely absolutely like there's one i don't want to uh say which but there was one where like the only thing resembling information on the composer was like ancestry websites that had been posted there by his granddaughter or something and i didn't want to like put that all out there yeah yeah fair enough um but those were like the only the the articles weren't like this dude wrote X anthem. It was this dude was a great granddad. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. So should we talk about the lyrics? Yeah, let's let's music? get into it. Um, I figure because these lyrics seem to be so popularly accepted as the real the real McCoy, mm. as it were, <laughs> that we can. Rate the lyrics using these I as so. as our lyrics to rate. I think so. I think because this is like human history is such a such a strange and weird thing where often things are not written down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like honestly, by the end of this, every single country we did would have an asterisk next to it, being like this. But yeah. so <laughs> this is just the but of, of this one is the lyrics are not official, but generally accepted as true. Yeah. So uh, on we go. And I actually think they're pretty good. I uh, think they're pretty good too. They're they're not super exciting and mind blowing in any way, but they're they're very simple and elegant. And I think they they I think it works in their favor that they were written actually after the melody. Mm. Because one of the things I'm gonna talk about with the music too is I think there's some really great phrasing to this anthem, and I think the lyrics use that great phrasing of the melody to their advantage in these little sort of half repetitions they do in the stanzas. And I think that's a really great way to use the tools that they were given. I found the music very majestic. Yeah. And my first thought was this sounds like a church song, which I then found out it is a church song. So that makes sense. Or at least... Sort of. The whole song. country was uh, founded by Christians fleeing persecution from the Roman Empire. So yeah, it, I mean, it makes it makes sense. Yeah. The thing I find interesting that they that they mention here when they say in the first line, "Oh, ancient republic," I find that interesting because, like, any time I've been to Europe, I've been sort of struck by how old stuff is over there. Absolutely. Like you look at a building and it says on the, like it's stamped on the side, you know, fifteen twenty two or whatever, and that's like ancient to me because i'm from i mean it's not a new country obviously people were here from the beginning yeah but in terms of like but you know the stuff that's construction yeah yeah it is fairly recent so around canada like that's an old building means 1930 
Whereas yeah, in yeah. Europe, maybe 1850 if we're getting maybe, really if exciting. you're really stretching for it. <laughs> but in Europe, an old building is like 12, 13, 1400. And that's not even like really that old because there's a castle over there that's been there forever. So well, And San Marino, if we are to accept sort of the earliest dates posited by the legend of when St. Marinus founded this commune, then... San Marino would be the oldest continuously operating republic on Earth. Oh, that's cool. Um, I didn't want to say it because it's a debatable claim. Okay. Because whether St. Marinus really settled on Mount Titano mm. in 302 is a little bit sketchy. Sure, but I think as long as you admit that. But if, <laughs> if we are to accept that that is true, then it is the oldest republic on Earth. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's pretty cool that's if we're talking cool. about an ancient republic. It certainly adds another layer to that um, that lyric. It, it really is ancient then. Um, it's very straightforward in the lyrics. Yeah. Gets the point yeah, across. Yeah, they're not, they're not amazing, but they're, they're good, strong, workmanlike lyrics. I'm going to give yeah. them a 6.5. Oh, you're getting to the ratings right away. Okay, Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I thought that's what we were doing. (laughs) That's okay. That is what we were doing. I just feel unprepared. Um, Yes, I'm going to give them... Take your time. I'm going to give the lyrics a six. Okay. The music, for me, is the real strong point of this anthem. Like I said, I think it has something really great in the phrasing. I love the way there's these long, melodic phrases and these short little lulls at the end of sort of the sections. It's quite soothing. It is, and I love how it ends big. Yeah, and like some anthems, certainly ones I've heard, will really like whack you over the head. Yeah. This one's not whacking. No, there is... petting gently. There's there's a kind of subtlety to the the melody, even though it is big, like Mm -hmm. many anthems are and arguably should be, but that's a debate for another day. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I think I, I I agree. I think it's not bashing you over the head. I'm going to give the music an eight. I'm going to go with 8.5. All right. So the background story, there's not much there. What I keep coming back to with San Marino is it's so small. It's 60 and change square kilometers. There's so few people there. There's just over 30,000 people in the country today. Yeah. And they only border on Italy. Mm-hmm. So there are so few countries that have dealt with San Marino at all. At all. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of people, other than Italians at least, are talking about this. So the background story I have is nothing. Yeah. Yeah, for background story, I think it's it's original, though. That's true. It's, it is unique. But yeah, I'm going to go four. Yeah, I was probably going to go three. Yeah. Significance to the country, though, I, I do think is an interesting point. Because Federico Consolo, the guy who wrote it, wasn't Samaranese. He was Italian. Mm. Um, but from what I can tell, the Samaranese, it's not like a, 
New Zealand Australia thing where like from what I gather New Zealanders don't want to be confused with Australians they write in these anthem in this anthem they say the glory of Italy I was gonna bring it up if you didn't because so that's not what you say about your rival yeah and that's why I get the impression they're they're not rivals I I wonder if the whole Garibaldi thing really smoothed over any sense of rivalry with a unified Italy once it sort of came to be all around San Marino. Yeah, I don't know. Listeners, if you know anything about this. Yeah, I'd be I'd please. be interested to hear, but I think it's I think it's really cool that they chose this reworking of a church song for yeah. this. I think that was the right choice. Um not that I'm going to be out here like rah rah Catholicism <laughs> or anything, but I mean that that is what the country, at least in legend, was founded for. Yeah, and I think if it's important to you, it should show up in your anthem. Yeah. If it doesn't, you're leaving something out. So, yeah, I, I like it. So significance, I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go another six and a half here. Okay, I was going to go seven. All right. And the X Factor. This has some X Factor for me. It does have some X Factor. I was going to say the same thing. Um, Again, that phrasing, uh, the way it uses repetition really sparingly, I think is really great. And that big ending is is so good. Um, I think that electric guitar version we listened mm-hmm. to as well really pulled out some of the almost jazzy complexity of the chord yeah, structure of this thing that's a good way to word it there is something kind of funky yeah is that the wrong word for this i don't know i don't know i that's I, the word I, i'm going with yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, it it creates something really cool and I think really unique within this very sort of regimented genre of march music that that tends to make up anthems. I'm going to give this uh, an eight on the X Factor. I was thinking eight as well. I agree with you on that. And let me just take a second to tally this up. Right, that gives us a total score of 65.5 out of 100. That's not a bad score. I think that'll put it uh, pretty firmly in the middle of the pack for what we've done so far. Yes. We should do around episode 10 or something. We should lay out the rankings as they stand so far. I was just thinking that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Needy D. Rondine, the swallow's nests that we just made, because... Oh my god. Amazing. Would Amazing. eat again. Amazing. Would definitely eat again. And it took me all day to make, and I would still <laughs> definitely make it again. It was so like I loved how all the layers sort of opened up in the cooking mm-hmm. and you the had cheese. just pasta and so much cheese and the ham just crisped up so nicely. I'll be honest, I was worried about the ham because I don't like ham that much. I know you're not a big ham fan, but, but uh, <laughs> you, you like this one? Fan. I did. I think the crispiness really added something to it for me. It was almost more like bacon. Yeah. And less like sort of 
like ye old slice of ham that is really not what I'm here for. I do think if I were to try it again, I might at least check the price difference on making it with like prosciutto or mm. something. Yeah. I think that could be really interesting. That could be good. I liked the sort of sweetness that it had, which I know you said there was nutmeg in it. Yeah, yeah. The recipe that I, I used called for nutmeg in the bechamel sauce, which is not something I have used before. And I've made a fair number of bechamel sauces in my day. I like a cheesy pasta. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was probably my favorite we've made so far, but also probably... You know, the closest to what I'm used to eating yeah. of what we've made so far. Yeah, I think that is to be taken into account also. Um, it was real tasty. It was real it was tasty. Re you know that feeling when you like know you have something good for lunch tomorrow? <laughs> and you're just like, yes, I have something good for lunch tomorrow. And I don't have to make a peanut butter sandwich first thing in the morning. That's the feeling I have right now. Good. And it's excellent. <laughs> Let's... Uh spin our giant 206 sided dice and uh see what my next country is gonna be all right let's do it and the giant 206 sided die says 102 102 let me just check what we've got here 102 is going to be Lesotho. Oh, I think that's one of the other entirely surrounded countries. Oh, really? I know exactly where Lesotho is. It is entirely surrounded by South Africa. Cool. It's kind of appropriate that you got both of them. Like, it will There's give still you... Vatican. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But you've had now two out of three, right? Yep. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool? That's pretty cool. Um, I will also have to make sure it is pronounced Lesotho and not Lesotho. I promise by the time we come back to do the episode yes. for proper, I will know the answer. We will know that. Also, we should discuss briefly how badly San Marino was fucked by other countries. Or not, as the case may be. Really not at all. Good for them. Yeah. They, a plus. They did a remarkable amount of not being fucked by anybody. Including Italy. Including Italy. Somehow. The only person they poured on. <laughs> there was maybe a small incident Even in the Second World didn't War. didn't really fuck it's them. true. He kind of, like, I mean, they went fascist, which was bad, but yeah. Mussolini didn't fuck them in the process. There is the Second World War where they were attacked by both Axis and Allies. That's true. But at the but same time... But both on bad intel and the yeah. worst attack cost 60 lives. It doesn't really... I want to say it doesn't count, but it's... No. But it's different than like a long piece of colonialism. I, I feel, for example. you know, British Samaritan's relations are not still strained yeah. by that. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. It. Tell us if we're wrong. I want to <laughs> hear all about it. So I will be back in two weeks to teach us about. I'm going to say Lesotho until otherwise informed. You know, the thing is, I'm probably wrong. I'm so bad at pronouncing things. Um, that's how I was pronounced. I think that's how I pronounced it earlier in okay. the episode anyways. Okay. And next week, Kate is going to be teaching us about Sao Tome and Principe. Yes. Something along those lines. She's going to know how I'm to pronounce it. I'm also going to know how to pronounce that when we get there so tune back in as we try to make ourselves just a little bit less ignorant
we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at IAOUC Podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we are not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.